0: You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. All right, we are going through a series on Luke, and today we find ourselves in an intriguing passage. Jesus has sent out 72 disciples to go and do ministry. Anybody remember why there's 72? 72 nations. If you go all the way back to, like, the earliest pages of Genesis, they tell us where all the nations came from. And so, when Luke is using the number 72, he's looking at the 72 nations that were created. He's looking at disciples being sent by Jesus in a a big group of 72, and he's trying to remind us Jesus is here, and yes, he's, he's reaching the remnant of the Jewish population right now, but he's also going to send his disciples beyond that to reach all of the nations out there. So he sends the 72 out. They go out and do ministry, and they find something very intriguing. They find out that things happen when they pray, that supernatural signs and wonders happen, By their very words. That when they come in contact with demons, which there are plenty of exorcists at this time who seem to kind of struggle with trying to get out these demons or whatever. They send them out and in the name of Jesus, they cast these demons out and the demons listen and do things. And they're kind of like, Jesus, do you have any idea what kind of ministry we just did? You sent us out to do stuff and like things happen. The kind of things that you, Jesus, have been doing happened when we did the same things. And so, uh, here's, here's a passage out of Luke 10, 17 to 20. The 72 returned with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy, and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, Do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. I don't know if you've ever cast out a demon before, but there are few practices that really help you see the authority that you have than that kind of ministry. When you come in contact with this otherworldly thing that has no choice but to listen to you that's a very complicated ministry because some of the demons that you have to get out are not always going to come out with just a word simply because they're they're stuck there by a lot of other things that's why Jesus told us that sometimes there are certain demons we have to pray to get out because we have to ask God like why is this one stuck? how can we get it out but still even when they're stuck they still have to listen to you and generally obey the things that you are asking if the Holy Spirit forces them to, to respond in those kinds of ways. Um, and you see that these disciples have just had that experience. Wow, the name of Jesus, I mean, you're the real deal. Literally, otherworldly things listen to us because of who you are. Who would have ever thought? But when we get to this weird passage in the middle, we see Jesus look to his disciples and say, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And we read that part and we're like, okay, well, that felt like a step <laughs> too far. Like, what what does that even mean? Like, Jesus looked up and, oh, there he goes. <laughs> As you were casting out demons, I just saw Satan fall out of the skies. What, What's going on here? And today, I'm going to try to lighten that view up for you a little bit by getting into the topic of Satan, not from the weird kind of stuff that we push around in churches, but um, to really kind of look at what a lot of scholarship has shown on the character that is Satan. So, Satan in the Old Testament, let's start there. There's pretty much one popular place he shows up, but his name is otherwise generally missing. Anybody know where that popular place is? His name does not show up in Genesis, but the figure of Satan is in Genesis. We don't know that until we get to... Um, the end of the Bible that says, you remember that snake in the Garden of Eden? That was Satan. That was the dragon. That was the beast. But otherwise, in Genesis, we just see that it's a snake. Where does the name Satan especially pop up? Job. Right. Now, it's important that we understand Satan in Hebrew because it's actually, it's like a, it's a judicial term. In heaven... There's this thing known as the divine council, which means all of the spiritual beings of heaven get together in the courtroom and kind of weigh in on things together. So you see this played out. Prophet Micaiah in 1 Kings 22 goes to heaven and he sees God say, I want to get rid of King Ahab. How are we going to do it? And then all the spiritual beings kind of weigh in. Could God just decide how they're going to do it himself? He could. But instead, he wants other people to join the conversation. And so different angels, it says spirits, spiritual beings, come up to God on his throne and say, how about we do it this way? Councils in session. They're giving ideas. And God hears one of the suggestions from the angels and says, that one, that one will work right there. And so they carry out that plan. The divine court is in session. They have come to an agreement. Now, within the divine court... In Hebrew, there are hasatans, the word that we use for Satan. And a Satan, in Hebrew, it just just means like accuser or uh, adversary. Now, a good person can be an accuser and a good person can be an adversary, right? Like, if there's bad people out there and you're a good person and you are adversarial to the bad people then you are behaving as a Satan or a Satan to them, an adversary to them. That term is neutral in the Old Testament. So in the book of Job, though Satan shows up a lot, it doesn't necessarily mean this is the Satan. And part of the reason we know that that term can be used in a lot of other ways in the Old Testament is because the angel of the Lord is called a Hasatan at one point, a Satan. Remember that weird story of... Some secular prophet, magician guy on a donkey. <laughs> and he, he, uh, uh, the donkey doesn't want to keep moving. And then the donkey starts speaking to the guy. He's like, I'm not going any further. He's like, what? What's going on? The angel of the Lord, God's like precious sacred angel, shows up to that guy and that donkey. And the angel of the Lord behaves as an adversary to that guy. A Satan to that guy, a Satan to that guy. The angel of the Lord is not Satan. He is an adversary toward him. So in the book of Job, we have an angel who enters the divine court who's in a bitter mood that day. He is a Satan. He's an accuser. God says, where did you just come from? And this angel responds, oh, going to and fro throughout the earth. In other words, we're already getting the feeling of what this particular angel is like. God, you assign me to to watch over the earth and see what's going on down there, to kind of police it. And I'm coming back with my report. Humanity is the worst. Humanity is the worst. They do everything wrong. It's just sin all the time. And then God responds to this bitter angel who's accusing humanity, who's an adversary to humanity at this point. He says, well, if you consider Job, he's doing all right. And that angel's like, he's just doing all right because you take care of him. He's like, if you took all that away, he'd be just like everybody else. Trust me, I've walked the earth. They're all the same. All those humans are the same. And so God puts court in session. Let's take a look. Is this Satan's view of humanity right? If we took things away from Job, would he act just like everybody else? And so Job kind of becomes like a part of a court case. Job, prove yourself yourself. That humanity is worth saving because there's a bitter angel that kind of wants to appeal to God to say to wipe y'all out again. And so the Satan brings this idea and they test Job and Job passes. That is the biggest glimpse of Satan in the Old Testament, but it doesn't have to actually be Satan. In the New Testament Satan shows up all the time and I think the reason that is is because the Jews looked back at the Satan of Job and said whoever the ultimate bad guy in the universe is whoever that evil being that's trying to destroy us is whoever that snake in the Garden of Eden is he acts just like that Satan he's always accusing us he's always our adversary He's always trying to destroy humanity, so on and so forth. And so they take the term Satan from the Old Testament, they remember those stories of Job, and they just take that name and they put it on that being in the New Testament as like the Satan of all Satans. He's in a bad mood, he's out to kill us, he does not like us, he wants us all wiped out. That's, I think, how we end up with Satan in the New Testament. But there are some strange passages in the Old Testament about an angel who used to be in heaven, who used to be doing all the right things, who was made to be good, and then suddenly pride went to his head and he lost his cool. There's two uh, specific passages, and they both come out of the prophetic tradition. First off, Sorry, that's not the right passage at the top, but it is the right words. I think we're in Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. God is prophesying through Ezekiel, and then he says this You were the signet of perfection. He was talking to a king at the time, but now it seems like he's starting to compare this king to this old angel that turned on him. You were the signet of perfection, full of wisdom, perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. The snake in Eden, right? Satan. Every precious stone was your covering. Sardius, topaz, diamond, barrel, onyx, jasper, sapphire, emerald, carbuncle. (laughs) And crafted in gold were your settings and your engravings. And on that day you were created, they were prepared. You were an anointed guardian cherub. Guardian cherub, that's what cherubs do. They're, they're guardians of, of sacred space. Where do we run into the snake? In sacred space, in the holy temple of Eden, protecting a sacred tree. Except he's no longer protecting it. He's inviting humanity to come and eat from it. By the way, another term for angels is seraphim, which literally just means fiery serpent. So again, that kind of serpentine look at Satan blends in here. Uh, but, 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 where was I? I placed you. Thank you, Marie. I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God in the midst of the stones of fire. You walked. You were blameless in your ways from the day you were created till unrighteousness was found in you. In the abundance of your trade, you were filled with violence in your midst and you sinned. So I cast you as a profane thing from the mountain of God and I destroyed you, O guardian cherub, from the midst of the stones of fire. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom. Uh, Man, I really forgot to change my titles. We're now in Isaiah. We're going to come back to that one. (laughs) Go back to the passage that we were just in you have Satan on the holy mountain of Eden of God. And you get this idea in the ancient world that mountains were places where heaven and earth met. And what happens to this fallen angel? He's kicked out of Eden. He's kicked out of heaven. He's kicked off the mountain. And so it's almost like he's falling from heaven to earth like lightning, kind of. You, you get this feeling like a, like a shooting star. Because in the ancient world, stars were thought to be spiritual beings. They were up there in the sky, they moved around, they were not in the same place every night, therefore, they must be alive. And so those must be the angels, because that's heaven up there, and so the angels are moving around each night. That was the way that ancient people thought about the stars. And here you have a heavenly being in the heavenly mountain of God being kicked off of it, falling like lightning. We then get to Isaiah that says something very similar. Your heart was proud because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. I cast you to the ground. I exposed you before kings to feast their eyes on you. By the multitude of your iniquities, in the unrighteousness of your trade, you profaned your sanctuaries. So I brought fire from your midst. It consumed you, and I turned you to ashes on the earth in the sight of all who saw you. All who know you among the peoples are appalled at you. You have come to a dreadful end and shall be no more forever. You have these passages. And I think that actually was Ezekiel 28. Sorry, my titles are all wrong. In Isaiah 14, there's another passage in which the words are actually used that Satan is kind of kicked out of heaven. What he's trying to do is ascend God's holy mountain, that heavenly space where God is, and take it over. In fact, I want to make sure that we read that one um, because it somehow is missing from my slides here. There we go. <laughs> Still not Luke. Isaiah 14. No, that is Luke. Goodness. Does anybody have a Bible on him? Yeah, I think so. How you have fallen from heaven, morning star, son of dawn. You are cut down to the ground on the nations. And you yourself said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will raise up my throne above the stars of God. And I will sit on the mountain of assembly on the summit of Zaphon. I will ascend to the high place of the clouds. I will make myself with the most high. But you are brought down to Sheol, to the depths of the pit. Yeah, yeah so that's the Isaiah passage. I'm just trying to make it more communal. You, you passed the test. Thank you, Andrew. Uh, <laughs> in Isaiah 14, you have Satan defined as a star. Of heaven he's he's not the brightest star in heaven God is the brightest star in heaven but this slightly less bright star that is also glorious um, in Latin that star day star in Latin that word is anybody know Lucifer thank you in Latin day star is Lucifer so you see that people in Latin times <laughs> um, saw this passage and also thought of this as a Satan figure um this day star is cast out of the heaven when he tries to overthrow god and take his throne and he falls to earth like lightning he tries to overthrow the brightest star he tries to climb the mountain of defi- uh, of the assembly where the divine council meets he tries to get up there overthrow god and run the assembly so when court is in session from now on everyone will come and listen to him instead of to yahweh that's his plan That mountain in Hebrew is Har Mohed. Har Mohed. That is the place that God sits on his holy mountain and counsel comes together to um, make judgments. That's where Satan wants to be. That's where he's trying to get. And that is also where he's trying to get back to. And we see this in Revelation. Because in Revelation, there's this... In times war coming where satan has been busy trying to build up an army of demons trying to bring into his army of demons also people and he wants to try to make this kind of like spiritual human hybrid army to go to a place that john calls in revelation armageddon except that's actually not the way it's pronounced John says it himself. He says, they assembled them at the place in Hebrew is called Armageddon. In other words, what he writes there is not like pronounced necessarily Armageddon. He's trying to help them pronounce a a Hebrew word. And what most of our translations are missing is there's a breathing mark right before Armageddon. uh, Because there's no H in Greek. And so in order to make you make an H sound, there's a breathing mark to make you go Mageddon, to make a H noise, har, which is mountain in Hebrew, Mageddon. And scholars, some scholars have shown that like really what he's trying to get here is he's going back to Isaiah. In the same way that one day Satan tried to ascend all the way to the top of the mountain to throw God off of his throne so that he could rule over heaven. And so God cast him off the mountain like lightning. In the same way, Satan's trying to get back there. He's trying to get to har the mountain of the divine assembly, to overthrow him again. And in the meantime, he's trying to bring together armies of demons, armies of people, anything that can be against Jesus to overthrow Jesus. But Jesus just shows up with a sword in his mouth, which shows us like his words are his judgment. And Jesus does this whole battle just by speaking words of judgment and defeating Satan in the end. But this is the kind of pride that that Ezekiel said was in Satan's life, that he would be conquered, and yet he would still have the audacity to think that he could overthrow God. He still would have the audacity to think that it's possible he could write an ending where he is not cast into hell, but instead takes over the mountain of assembly and becomes the God of gods. That is what Satan is up to. And in the meantime, we live in this age where he rules. He shows Jesus that he has power over kingdoms. Paul calls Satan a little G God of this world. Satan shows us that he he has power in this age. Revelation shows us that one day he will be done away with. But in the meantime, Jesus shows us that we are overcoming him, that we are foiling his plans. We are messing things up for him. So when the 72 come back and they're like, we found out that when we cast out demons, they actually listen to us because they respond to your name. Jesus looks at them and he remembers how one day in the past, Satan was kicked out of heaven. And he looks at them and says, I saw Satan fall like lightning. There's murmurs in the spiritual realm. What you guys are doing when you are conquering demons, you are you're messing up. Satan's plans in the same way that he was cast out of heaven that his plans were foiled that he wasn't getting everything that he wanted that he wasn't overtaking everything he wanted to overtake. Jesus looked at his disciples like I saw it happen again. The armies that he's raised up. I saw it happen again. You foiled their plans. You kicked them out. You messed them up. And then he tells them behold I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions. And I don't think Jesus means like literally go out and step on snakes. I don't. That would be a great T-shirt, but I, I don't think that's what he was getting at. Serpents and scorpions bring two passages to mind in the Old Testament: Deuteronomy eight through nine, and Psalm ninety-one. And Psalm ninety-one was a passage. It's the one Psalm of the Psalms that is about um, protection from demons. And so you have Jesus reminding his disciples. Just as Psalm 91 said that we would trample all kinds of demons that come our way, Jesus looks at them and says, That's what you've just done. And that is what you will continue to do. And nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, but that the spirits are subject, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Jesus follows this up with a warning verse. There are some people that really get caught up in demon hunting. Do not suggest it, not worth it. Um, You got to do ministry with the Holy Spirit when you're getting involved in deliverance stuff. And Jesus here has a reminder to them like, hey, it's not about like just like getting amped up and running out and casting out demons. Like rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Keep your focus on Jesus. Do things with Jesus or you can cast out demons and still get messed up, still miss the point. Jesus actually says that one day people come to him and say, Lord, Lord, we cast out demons in your name. And Jesus looks at those very people and is like, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. I know not who you are. Why does Jesus say that to them? I think because their focus got off. They carried the power to cast out demons. They knew the name by which demons are cast out by, but they didn't take care of their lives. They didn't keep their eyes on Jesus. They didn't rejoice that their names are written in heaven and live a life that's focused on heaven. They got focused on the wrong things. But that being said, um, we come here together at 1208 every week and we know our neighborhood. And sometimes some people have come to me and they have seemed to have a, a gift of sorts of just kind of feeling atmospheres i know that sounds strange it's hard to kind of put into words i think we've all done that before where we walk in certain buildings and something just seems a little off i live two blocks from here this is my atmosphere this is what i'm used to but occasionally i have some other gifted people come in like do you know like how heavy this area feels like there's there's warfare going on here i have one friend who just like drove through jackson and felt like they had to throw up i'm like oh that's very pleasant thank you that's how we feel every day i guess here you know (laughs) um but like that that was a reminder to me like there's real work to be done that's why at spare oom there's been nights where we've gone outside and just prayed over our neighborhoods we hope that as we are actually worshiping late into the night on wednesday nights that we are Building a throne for God to be enthroned on our praises is what the Bible says. That hopes that, that what we're doing in worship is not just a neutral thing, but actually starting to impact the atmosphere of this area. That, that as we figure out ways to partner with Christ to get out into our community and show them who Jesus is, that they might actually fall on their knees and worship God that as we prophesy over them and disclose the secrets of their heart as Paul says they might fall on their knees and worship God. However it is that we're going to reach the Jackson community. It's by the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't do church without him. Don't do ministry without him. It will burn you out. Jesus told his own disciples don't go into the city until you have been clothed with power from on high receive the Holy Spirit, the one who casts out demons, the one who we partner with to do all ministry through, the spirit of wisdom that instructs us as to how to deal with every moment that comes our way. Work with him. See the glory of what he is up to. See demons tremble. And may you see the principalities and powers of the spiritual realm of Satan and beyond Fall from heaven like lightning because of the things that you are doing in the name of Christ. Jesus, we come before you. We can't see that world. And um, if you wanted us to see it clearly, you would have designed us that way. Occasionally, I know that you raise up specific people with gifting to sense those things more than others. But for the most part, you tell your disciples that if they want to figure out how to remove all demons, sometimes they're going to have to pray about it. Sometimes they're going to have to ask God for some specific wisdom to deal with a specific case. We're here. We want want our neighborhood to see who you are. We want the authority given to us to to let your name reign over the flat iron district of Jackson. We want to go back to our houses wherever we live and bring that authority there too, not for the sake of building us up, into uh, places of pride but that we might get to places where we just remember um, that your spirit is working in us and through us and impacting our environments so fuel us up teach us make us stronger and let us hear your voice every day for those of us who um, feel like we've never heard your voice at all would you begin to train us up entirely from the bottom up that we would be fueled with the fullness of what we need to know for your spirit to move even more fully through us. I pray for new gifts uh, in people today um, as you set us up to be uh, the 72 sent out into our neighborhoods. In Jesus' name, amen.